0: Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk There are a whole load of different people here in the room today. Some of you are so excited about life, you can't contain yourself. And Christmas is coming up and you're ready to burst. (laughs) Ian Hartley, always, always. Some of you don't want to be here. Somebody dragged you along. They promised you something if you came to church. I want to speak to you as well today. Some of you, you don't believe in God at all. Some of you believe in God, but right now in your life, you're not sure that God believes in you. And some of you believe in God, but you are hanging on to life and hope by your fingertips. I want to speak to you as well. You see, all of us lose the wonder of life. And I want to talk about how we lose the wonder of life and the one thing we can do to get the wonder back. But before I do that, I am in awe and wonder at this church. Yesterday was Saturday. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, I'm so intelligent. And yet... This church was crazy busy in four different spaces that I know of. So we arrived, Alison and myself arrived here yesterday morning at 8.30 to wave the guys off that were packed into a coach. Ukrainian folks with their host homes off to a day in Oxford that we'd enabled to happen through funding which had come in, which was brilliant. A couple of hours later, I was in here. This place was full of grieving families who've lost someone over the last 12 months and we were able along with the local funeral director to help them and to encourage them to light a candle and to, and to receive God's help and, and hope and comfort. It was really powerful and moving. And then up in Rowley, you guys in Rowley, you knocked it out of the park. Alison was up there in Rowley and saw what an amazing job you did in the community. Loads of unchurched people who'd never been in our church in Rowley came yesterday morning to celebrate and have fun together. And then yesterday afternoon, Alison and I went down to Hagley and saw what an incredible job you guys were doing in Hagley as hundreds of people filled that village, that high street. And you guys, our guys were right in the middle, serving and loving our Communities, and all of that was on a Saturday. It's amazing, and you see that the church is not dead, no matter what the census says that's come out. Okay, and I'll talk into that some point in the future. But when Jesus two thousand years ago said, "I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't stand against it," he knew what he was talking about. He really did. But you know, I'm in awe of our church. I really am. And um, but I want to speak about this subject of wonder. You see, as you get older, you can lose your sense of wonder. In fact, as you get older, you start wondering about other things, don't you? Like, why is it every time I sit down and get up, I make noises now I'm older? Anyone wondered about that? Where does all the facial hair come from as you get older? Why is it when I walk up the steps, I'm not sure whether I was down going up or whether I was up coming down? It's like all these things you begin to wonder the older that you get. And then there's Christmas, and when you're a kid, and some of you are still kids as adults, you're so excited about coming down on Christmas morning and seeing all those presents under the tree. But when you get older, you're like, I think I know what's under the tree, and it ain't that exciting. But I'm going to have to put that face on that says, oh, it's just what I've always wanted. And you're lying through your teeth, but you've got to put that face on and say, and we lose the sense of wonder, not just about Christmas, but also we lose that sense of awe and wonder about life, about life. And, and in the book, <laughs> I read some strange books. It's called The Biological Advantage of Being Awestruck. It's a great book. The Biological Advantage of Being Awestruck. And the writer says this, he says, our ability to step into wonder has helped us survive as a species. Albert Einstein went on, he he said this, he who can no longer pause and wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. Like when you lose that sense of wonder, you've lost that sense of life. And maybe some of us, whether you're a person of faith or not, in a location online here in the room, maybe you don't just wonder now, you wonder when. You wonder when this situation will change. Or, or, or you wonder if, you wonder if my family can make it. Or, or, or you wonder what might happen next. And, and you're, you're wrapped in wonder, but it's not awe and wonder. It's an anxious wonder. It's a wonder of, you know, are, are we going to make it through the winter? Alison <laughs> <laughs> Allison, uh, installed a smart meter in our house last week. Well, she didn't do it, but the, the person did it from the energy company. So we can track how much energy we're spending. Don't do it. It completely freaks you out. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, I've just woke up. It's 5.30 in the morning. There's already a pound on it. There's been no heating, no lights, nothing. How does that work? And so our wondering about life is replaced by our worrying about life. And yet, Christmas isn't meant to be about worrying, it's meant to remind us of why we wonder. And kids have an openness, don't they? Kids have a real openness. You know, kids ask on on average 125 probing questions every day, adults ask six. So that's what happens. So when you're a kid, you're wrapped in awe and wonder and you're curious and you're asking questions and you're interested and you're intrigued and little things, simple things, take your breath away. But when we're older, it all changes. But there's something else about the openness of children. You know, the Daily Telegraph um, published findings of some research, Dr. Justin Barrett, senior researcher of University of Oxford Centre for Anthropology and the Mind. He claims this. Young people have a predisposition to believe in a supreme being because they assume that everything in the world was created with a purpose. He goes on on to say that even if nobody talks to them about faith, they're likely to believe in a supreme being. He says this, if he goes on to say, Even those raised alone on a desert island would come to believe in God. Isn't that amazing? And maybe you're a person today who doesn't have faith and you say, I'm not a believer in God. I wanna, open, I wanna invite you to open your mind a little bit. Often people say that Christians are really closed-minded. But to me, I think that's really interesting. If you said there's nothing beyond what I can see, touch, eat, taste or wear, who's the most closed-minded? So I wanna invite you to journey with me to the universe a little bit this morning, okay? We're gonna head to the universe. You see this is amazing. If you were to come with me on a little journey around the universe, all right? There are 8 billion people on planet Earth right now. We've just hit 8 billion people, which is absolutely amazing. But for every one of those 8 billion people, there are a trillion stars. That's one with 12 zeros after it. Can you get mine around that for every 8 Billion people there are a trillion stars. Then zoom out to the Milky Way galaxy. Our sun is one, one sun of 200 billion suns, which is amazing. And our sun is huge. It's huge. It's million times larger than the earth. But our sun is average size compared to other stars. In fact, the largest, which is Canis Majoris or the big dog, is one million times larger than the sun which is a million times larger than the Earth. What about time? Our sun's light takes eight minutes to get to us, but the light from stars in Andromeda, our nearest galaxy, has taken two and a half million years to get to us. Maybe one day we'll travel to Mars. If we do, it'll take three years to get there. That's a long time. But to the edge of the solar system, it will take 50 years. And to the next star beyond that, Twenty thousand years. See if we allow our minds to stay open and not closed. If we can begin to think, maybe with all of this creation, maybe with all of this wowness, there could be a creator behind it all. And don't let this myth put you off. That science has disproved God. Science complements, doesn't disprove. Science tells us how, but only faith tells us why. And so, with the Psalms, in Psalm 19, it says, "It says these words: The heavens declare the glory of God; the skies proclaim the work of His hands." But you know, the most amazing work of the hands of God is not out there; it's right here in this room, in that room in Hagley and Rowley and Clibury, in that room online, wherever that room is. You see, I want you to zoom back in and we're going to try and find us. Okay, we're going to try and find us. If you, if, if you see it, you're going to come in any minute now. Here's the UK. And maybe some of you are thinking, here's, here's Rowley. Can you see Rowley? Can you see Hagley? Can you see Bromsgrove, Clibbery? It's going to zoom in and in. And it's eventually going to end up where I am and where many of us are here in Life Central. Hale's Owen. Eight billion people on the planet. And Christmas is all about the wonder of a God who loved us so much that He didn't just shout at us. He didn't just have loving feelings towards us. He didn't just think about us. Do you know that? Oh, I'm thinking about you. He sent not one of His many sons, but His only son so that every single person on planet earth could have a relationship with God. That's awe and wonder, isn't it? That's what takes our breath away. Where's the wonder gone, guys? I've been a Christian for 40 years now. 40 years last May. May just gone. I don't ever want to lose my sense of awe and wonder of how great my God, our God, really is. Where's the wonder gone? Where's the wonder gone in your life? Where's the wonder gone in your faith? Where's the wonder gone in your relationship with Jesus? You know that the Bible, the theological term Okay, for for what we're talking about is the incarnation, when God became man. And I only want to talk about one Bible verse for you today, all right? And just kind of let this one Bible verse sit there and do what it wants to do on its own without hopefully me getting in the way too much. And John, who was um, a friend of Jesus, who hung around Jesus, who was one of the only he was the only disciple that didn't like, like like die a horrible death, and he lived to be an an old man, although he was boiled in oil for a time and he was exiled on, on the island of Patmos, which was a horrible rock in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's not Santorini, it's not Cyprus, it's horrible. I've been there. But he writes in his gospel, this amazing verse in John 1, verse 14. The Word, which is another way of talking about Jesus. okay? So, so, so think, what does that mean, the Word? It's logos, it's the Word, it's the, Jesus, the Creator, the one who created all of that stars and galaxies and all of that. That Word, that Creator became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace, and truth, from another translation, so the word became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfading love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Another translation. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. We gazed upon his glory, the glory of the one and only. I want to sing a song from the '80s there, don't you? Don't know what that song? Okay, we'll move on. Who came from the Father overflowing with tender mercy and truth. And one more paraphrase the message. The Word became flesh and blood. And I love this. I felt about this yesterday when I looked at our church in action and moved into the neighbourhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory like Father, like Son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. Guys, this is the incarnation. This is God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about. And not just Christmas, but this is what life is all about, isn't it? It's all about that. And what I, I want to do in, in the few minutes I've got, and then we are going to respond by worshipping again, by singing again. And, and I, I want you to hear this if you're not a person of faith, and hopefully this will make sense. But if you are a person of faith today... I want you to let this draw out wonder again in your life. What makes the incarnation so wonderful? Let me give you two things. Number one, the timing. The timing of when Jesus came. Jesus didn't just come randomly to earth. Okay, The Bible puts it this way uh, in the book of Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This Wednesday at 7.30 in the morning in our online community, I'm going to open this up a little bit more, okay, with a Facebook Live. Because when, when Jesus came, you see, what we do is that we, we, we look in the Old Testament and the end of Malachi, the last verse of Malachi, where it says that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. What a great verse. And then it's nothing. And then we turn our page or we, or we scroll to, to the beginning of Matthew to pick up the next bit. There's a gap of 400 years Where God didn't speak, but lots happened. In that 400 years, the Greek empire arrived. In that 400 years, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, they all materialised. In that 400 years, the Roman empire with its roads and its systems and its communication all developed. And so God said, there's a set time. I'm going to send my son now. And he sent his son into a little scrubby piece of land, real estate, in literally the middle of the known world, the fulcrum between east and west and north and south, Israel. And Jesus came at the right time. That's the macro story. But the micro story is that Jesus has come at the right time for you and for me. Paul puts it this way in Romans Says it this way, or sorry, yeah, in Romans 5 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad about that? He died at the right time for the macro, but he died at the right time for the micro for my life and for your life. What makes the incarnation so wonderful is the timing. But secondly, what makes the incarnation so wonderful is the meaning. The meaning of it all. Because you see, what it means is literally this it means we are not alone. Those of you who are parents, who are tearing your hair out right now over your kids, little ones and big ones, you're not alone. Alison and I were walking in a park the other day, um, about dusk, kind of late afternoon, early evening, and just having a coffee together and talking. And, and as we walked around the, the lake in this park, Mary Stevens Park, if you know it, and there was this woman with this little kid, and uh, little toddler, and she was desperately trying to get the toddler to sleep. Anyone remember that or know that right now? And we bumped into her three or four times. Every time we bumped into her, she was more and more exasperated. Eventually, as we were coming out of the park, she was sat on the, on the bench. She was like, please go to sleep. I'm going to phone your father right now. <laughs> and she was so desperate. And we went over to her and we just spent some time with her and said, hey, you're doing a great job. Parenting is one of the hardest things you can ever do. And she looked at us like we were gone out, but we spent some time with her. And we just said, you're doing a fantastic job. It's so difficult. And maybe right now you're going through a situation and you're feeling totally on your own. The wonder of Christmas is this, you're not on your own. God became flesh, God moved into the neighbourhood, God knows what it is to feel, God knows what it is to be frustrated, God knows what it is to say, will you not go to sleep? God knows all of that because He's human. He became fully human so that He could understand and walk in the human experience. Guys, we are not alone, isn't that good? We are not alone. That's the wonder of the incarnation. And this year, I want that to take my breath away again. I don't want to get oh yeah 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 God became flesh yeah blah, blah, blah. yada yada yada. Yeah, I don't want that. What I want to say, God, you became flesh, not just for the eight billion people, but for me and for my family. What we're going through right now, we are not going through alone. What you're going through right now, you are not going through alone. As I stood on that stage yesterday, I was playing keyboard yesterday um, for this memorial and seeing all these people who've lost loved ones over the last 12 months and seeing tears and and, and weeping and all of that. And my heart cried out to them and saying, you are not on your own. In your grief and in your, in your pain and in your loss, you are not on your own. In your joy, you are not on your own because he celebrates with you. In your fear, you are not on your own because he's with you and he says, I am with you. You do not need to fear. In your anxiety and your worry, in your mental health challenges, you are not on your own. That's the wonder of the incarnation. But it also means not only are we not alone, we are no longer adrift We are no longer driven. Listen to this, I love this. I'm going to read it from the book. A theologian called Kenneth Bailey spent 25 years studying ancient Middle Eastern culture in the West Bank. He records how shepherds of Lebanon and Palestine describe a sheep when it got lost. They record that a sheep when lost can get into a state of nervous collapse and finding a a sheltered place as is immediately available will sit down and start shaking and bleating. In this terrified state, it can't respond to the shepherd's well-known call. It can't walk or be led. It cannot even stand or be made to stand. The only way that the sheep can be restored to the flock is if the shepherd himself comes to the sheep, hauls the sheep, which can weigh up to 70 pounds, up onto his shoulders and carry it, usually over rugged terrain, all the way home. That's what Jesus, the good shepherd, has done for you and for me. We are no longer alone and we are no longer adrift. And I want to say to you, as we said to all these people yesterday, if for you this Christmas is going to be really painful, maybe this is the first one, the first one without that person that you love so much. I want you to know, God wants you to know, you are no longer alone and you are no longer adrift. God is with you. You know, I believe that this sense of God is with us, if we live in that, if we celebrate that, if we rejoice in that, if we lean into that, no matter what's going on around us, it will bring the wonder back. Because when you bring the wonder back, you bring the passion back. And when you bring the passion back, you bring the meaning back into your life. I love this. This is one, I have probably 10 favourite books Okay, that I've read hundreds and hundreds of books in my life. But I've got 10. This is in my top 10. It's a book called Dangerous Wonder by Mike Iaconelli. And I've read this quote many times to you over the years. And he says this, it's a book about dangerous wonder. It's a, it's a book about the wonder of childlike faith. It's a book about how we lose it. It's a book about how we, um, our culture makes us dull and we become cynical. We're so cynical these days, aren't we? We're so suspicious. We've lost all of our trust in leaders and sometimes in life and we've lost that sense of wonder. And he writes this, we've lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news, it's okay news. Christianity is no longer life changing, it's life changing. Enhancing. If Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested, he says. What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? I am ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. Our entire culture has become dull. Dullness is the absence of light in our souls. Look around. We've lost the sparkle in our eyes, the passion in our marriages, the meaning in our work and the joy of our faith. And guys, what I want to say is that I want you to know something today, okay? I want you to know that God is with you. That's the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt in among us. He moved into the neighbourhood. He became one of us. He became one of us so that He could raise us to become with Him. I want you to know that God is with you. But I want you to do something as well. What I want you to do is to respond to that. And maybe for you, if you're not a person of faith, the response you can make is to come back. Maybe come back next Sunday. We're going to open this up a little bit more and talk about what it really means and how you can respond to that. Maybe that's your response. But you know, if you are a person of faith, respond again this Christmas time. Don't get so busy and so distracted. You know, Christmas is not about Santa and snowflakes and songs and stockings. It's about Jesus. Don't get so distracted by all of that that you miss the real wonder of Christmas. I want you to know God is with you. I want you to do, I want you to respond to that. But I also want you to feel something today. I want you to feel the reality of this. You are not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that famous German that resisted the, the Nazis and so much so that almost at the end of the war, I mean, it was so heartbreaking when you read the story. I've read his, autobi- his biography, and he lost his life because he resisted and spoke truth to power. But he said this, you've got to, you've got to just, just settle with this. We are no longer alone. God is with us. We're no longer homeless. A bit of the eternal home itself has moved into us. Therefore, we adults can rejoice deeply within our hearts under the Christmas tree, perhaps more than the children are able. We know that God's goodness will once again draw near. Isn't that amazing? We're not alone, guys. We're not alone. If you're willing and able here in Halzoen, in Hagley, in Rowley, in Clibury, would you stand with me for a moment? And I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for you for this next month. Many of us in this room, many of us online, many of us in our locations, Christmas is going to be tough. I want to encourage you in that don't, don't, don't back away from that, go into that, and do you know what I mean? Do whatever you need to do. But I want you to know God is with you. God is with you. Those eight billion people on the planet, God zeroes in on every single one. So I want to pray for you right now. Let, me, let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and for your presence in our lives. God, we thank you. You are such an amazing, incredible God that you loved the world so much that you gave your one and only son, that you moved into the neighbourhood. You became like us so that you could raise us to be with you. God, I want to pray for every single person. If there's families here, there will be who right now are holding on to life by their fingertips. Would you come? and touch them by the power of your Spirit. If there's those who are grieving over loss, whatever that loss is, would you comfort and strengthen them? And if those who are fearful or anxious about the future or even about the present, God, let your presence draw near. Be with them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to respond by worshipping. And um, I was reminded this morning, so it wasn't in my notes Uh, of a story. I don't know whether it's exactly true, but it's really powerful. But it's around the Taj Mahal. I've had the privilege of going to the Taj Mahal in in India, in Accra, uh, in Agra rather. And it's an amazing building. But it's really a mausoleum for a a dead lady, for the uh, the Shah, uh, an emperor in the 16th century, for his wife. He had many wives. This is the one he loved the most. So he built this big temple. And the story goes that he got so focused on building the temple and on the mechanics of that, that one day as he was walking on the site, he bumped his foot into a box and he thought, who's left this old box here, throw it out? That old box was the body of the the wife that he loved so much. And it's like, it's really powerful because he got so focused on the mechanics, he forgot the one that it was really all about. I've never forgot that story because that's my story. I get so focused sometimes about doing stuff. Do you know what I mean? And about setting stuff up and communicating the good news of Jesus that I can forget that it's about Him. It's not about the mechanics. So as we sing these really simple songs to worship, and we sang this song in a church in Jerusalem a few weeks ago with no instruments, with no lights, just our voices. And it was incredible because it's so simple and so true. And I want to ask you, step in today. Worship the God who became one of us, who is holy, who is amazing, who is worthy of our worship, regardless of what is going on in our life. Let's worship Him today.